0: Hello
1: and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times. This week's podcast is about Germany and its far-right party, the alternative for Deutschland. The AFD have been rising relentlessly in the opinion polls for the past year. But the revelation that party activists held a meeting to discuss the mass deportation of immigrants, including German citizens, has sparked a backlash. My guest this week is Constanze Stelzenmuller, Director of the Center for the United States and Europe at the Brookings Institution in Washington and a regular commentator on German affairs for the Financial Times. So, just how dangerous is the AFD? <laughs> The anti-AFD demonstrations that took place across Germany in the middle of this month were huge, the biggest demos in Germany for decades. They testify to the fact that almost 80 years after the fall of Nazism, Germans remain acutely sensitive to anything that smacks of racism or fascism. And yet it's also true that more than one in five Germans now regularly tell pollsters that they would vote for the AFD, and the party itself claims, in classic populist fashion, to represent ordinary people against a corrupt elite. Growing alarm about the rise of the AFD came to a head after the revelation of the Lakeside meeting in Berlin to discuss radical solutions to mass migration. I began my conversation with Constanze Stelzenmüller by asking her what happened at the meeting and why it proved so controversial.
2: Gideon, the meeting was significant for a variety of reasons. One was the topic. Here were a number of representatives of the hard right discussing openly the deportation in mass numbers of immigrants in Germany, including German passport holders with an immigration background. Footnote to that, 25% of Germans have an immigration background of one kind or another, including me my great-great-great-grandparents were thrown out of Austria for being Protestants. Then some of the people who were there were quite well known. The best known probably was the head of the identitarian movement, Martin Zellner, an Austrian. There was a backbencher from the Christian Democratic Party in Germany and a number of well-off citizens who have apparently been quietly funding this kind of thing. And the other reason why the meeting was significant Not that really what they were saying was all that new. If you were following, like me and numerous other Germans, what the German hard right have been up to for the past decade, you could have seen the radicalization and quite open radicalization of the party and its assorted movements. But this particular reporting has unleashed the largest, broadest, most diverse political demonstrations in German post-war history the only time we've ever seen anything like it was in 1989, 1988, on the other side of the war. So it feels
1: like a sort of breakthrough moment or a watershed moment in the way that a lot of German society views the AFD as kind of confirmation that this is not just an anti-immigration party, but that this is a truly sinister party with a really quite extreme agenda. Is that basically, how the non-AFD Germans are seeing it?
2: I think so. You know, there was some suggestion that these demonstrations, which two weekends ago were estimated at being at least 900,000 all across Germany, and this weekend, again, there were hundreds of thousands demonstrating across Germany as well, it's been estimated or suggested by some critics that really these were somehow captured by the hard left. I don't think that's true at all. The hard left, I'm sure, was trying to do that, but the hard left is utterly incapable of getting Germans out in those numbers. And as I was saying, Gideon, people went on the streets in bitter cold, in the dark, in huge numbers, numbers so large in Hamburg and Berlin, police had to break up the demonstrations. But what was especially impressive was that people were going out across Eastern Germany as well, And even in small towns where people know each other, and this can actually be quite dangerous.
1: Because, of course, the AFD does command extraordinarily high levels of support historically. I mean, opinion polls have been showing them, what, at sort of 25% and much higher than that in East Germany. So taking a couple of steps back, why has there been this surge in AFD support? Because you know, you haven't had a big surge of migration as you did, say, in 2015 with the Syrian influx. Why has the Fd been doing so well lately?
2: Perhaps some background on the AFD. The AFD started 10 years ago as a project of Eurosceptic economics professors who were worried about the introduction of the European currency, the euro. Its radicalization and surge really only occurred after the migration crisis of 2015, when then-Chancellor Merkel opened Germany's borders to an unprecedented wave of mostly Middle Eastern and Afghan refugees. Footnote to that, they have been mostly integrated into German society and the labor market. But the truth is that for the past half decade, if you listened closely to what the AFD was saying if you read its party programs, you could be perfectly aware, and certainly media were reporting about this, that this radicalization was becoming more and more overt, less and less apologetic. And indeed today, you could say, of all the hard right parties in Europe, the AFD is really the only one that's not trying to pretend it is anything but what it is, which is racist, white, ethno-nationalist, Islamophobic, and bent on changing the German constitutional order. Frankly, I find it surprising that Germans are going on the streets only now. But I am really very impressed and frankly, very moved by the degree of outrage. Maybe this was just the straw that broke the camel's back.
1: And yet the AfD does continue to have high levels of support. I mean, they've been up at what levels in the polls?
2: It does. It is polling nationally at between 20 and 22%. And in three of the eastern states, of the five eastern states, it's between 30 and 37%, which is somewhat concerning for the traffic light coalition government, since those three states will be holding state elections in September. And there will be, in fact, municipal elections all across the five eastern states and polls now suggest that the AFD would power through all of them. But just to demonstrate just how extraordinary this party is compared to others in Europe, a few days ago, Marine Le Pen, the leader of the French hard right, said that she disapproved of these remigration plans, as the AFD calls them, the deportation plans, and that under no circumstances could her movement work together with the AFD. Now, I personally think that's a lie, and I think that is a deflection, but still, it was a fairly remarkable thing for her to say.
1: So how do you account for the fact that they have got to these very high levels of support? And do you think this controversy, too early to say perhaps, but is it likely to puncture that support?
2: Well, a lot of ink has been spilled, as you can imagine, on that question. I tend to speak about this in sort of categories Of real and imaginary grievances and legitimate and illegitimate grievances. And if you look closely at polls and sociological studies, there's a bit of everything in there. There really is a multiplicity of motives. But people tend to make a sort of rough distinction between cultural issues, economic issues, and the problems of governance. And I tend to think personally that The questions of culture and identity, although they gain a great deal of traction in social media, are overrated. And economic issues are certainly there in Eastern Germany, but they wouldn't account for the support for the AFD among quite wealthy people in some regions of Western Germany. I think what we are really seeing is a crisis of representative democracy. And we are seeing that the Politicians and policymakers in sophisticated post-industrial representative democracies across the West are struggling everywhere, really, to govern effectively and are thereby undermining the legitimacy of representative democracy. And that, of course, is exploited by adversaries of the West, both external and internal. And the hard right, of course, are the key internal adversary, although there are left-wing enemies of representative democracy as well.
1: But when you see these poll rankings, does part of you fear that actually, what you say is a almost uniquely radical far-right agenda in Europe commands high levels of support in Germany? Or do you think that people are failing to understand or have so far failed to understand what the AfD is all
2: about? Well, I tend to think that I've been following it somewhat obsessively. I am a constitutional lawyer by training. And I sort of can't can't bring myself to not follow it, if you know what I mean. I've never seen such a challenge to what essentially has been a very stable constitutional order in Germany, the best democracy we've ever had. And I'm personally outraged, given our history, that we have such a movement that it should be so successful. But even if I discuss this with old friends, I see that a lot of them think that what's happening here is a legitimate protest vote against what they see as the failings of successive governments. Many of them have been either in denial or just haven't followed closely what AFD leaders have said and done. I find that extraordinary. But don't forget, Gideon, you and I are journalists. We are political junkies. And finally, I do think that there is such a thing as a silent majority that on most days just can't be bothered and tends to think that as long as it makes the right decision in the polling box every four years, it can safely leave politics to its representatives. And I think what we're seeing now with these demonstrations is people realising that they should better pay attention and that they should express their views. I'm really rather impressed.
1: So tell me about this debate, though, about actually banning the AFD, which I'm sure you have views on, since, as you say, you're a constitutional lawyer and also, you know, a political junkie. In some ways, it sounds to me like a bad idea because defending democracy by banning a party from standing sounds like a contradiction and also perhaps also a massive tactical error because it allows the AfD to say this is a fake democracy. So what's your view of that
2: debate? Well, the German basic law, the Constitution, does actually provide for the possibility of a party ban in Article 21. And the Constitutional Court has said this is a tool of what is called defensive democracy, in other words, a democracy that can defend itself against its enemies. It's also said this is the sharpest and also the most double-edged weapon of a rule of law-based democracy. And why is that? Because parties, of course, in constitutional theory, are an expression of the sovereign demos, of the people. On the other hand, the constitutional court is a protector of democracy. That said, we've been very, very reluctant, and the Constitutional Court has been very reluctant to respond to requests to use this tool. We've banned parties twice in the 1950s, once the SAP, which was a successor party to the Nazi Party, and the KPD, the Communist Party. There were attempts to ban the NPD, which is an actual neo-Nazi party, in 2017, And the Constitutional Court actually opined on that and said this party is clearly anti-constitutional, but it's politically irrelevant, so we're not going to do this. The conundrum here, of course, is that the AFD has now been declared by German domestic intelligence to be overtly anti-constitutional in at least three of the 16 states, but it is so large that it is both relevant for the possibility of an overturn of constitutional order And it is also, as you were suggesting earlier, an expression of the will of at least an important part of the demos. That's the conundrum here. People are discussing options like cutting off government party funding, which, yes, is something that exists in Germany, or to ban the party use. I think I've come down against a ban. I would like there to be much more public debate. I would like the Domestic Intelligence Service to say what they've got. But I think that, in general, party bans are a very dangerous tool in this kind of situation. And
1: when you say the AfD, there's strong evidence that they're an anti-constitutional party, what are you referring to? Are you referring to the suggestion that they want to actually deport people who are now German citizens? Or is there evidence that they, in the end, would use democracy to end democracy, that their end state is an authoritarian regime?
2: I think that is what you have to assume. I could go into chapter and verse now, but a cursory look at their party platforms, which, by the way, are also translated into Russian on their website, I think would help confirm that. The essence of representative democracy is limited government. In other words, checks and balances. Not just for the executive, the courts, and legislature, but also for the will of the sovereign. Whereas the AFD pretends it is the only legitimate representative of the sovereign and that it is, in fact, entitled to call for majority rule. The model of this thinking is, of course, Hungary under Viktor Orban, which has been turned into a one-party state. Essentially, the kind of constitutional order the AFD is thinking about is a white ethno-nationalist majority rule with as little checks and balances on the majority as possible, or preferably none.
1: Right. One more thing on that before we get to the problems of the mainstream. One of senior German politicians once put it to me rather interestingly. He said the difficulty is that, you know, we can tell the police to keep an eye on them. But in Eastern Germany, given their 35%, a large percent of the police will actually be AFD. So it's rather difficult.
2: Well, that's another very concerning phenomenon of this period. It became clear several years ago that the AFD had worked quite hard at tunnelling into the security services, into the police, into domestic intelligence on the state and local level, and into the army. And in fact, several government ministers and several defence ministers have been working quite hard at putting back at these efforts, and in fact, at throwing out right-wing radicals in the services. But as I said, they've been working hard, They have also been working quite hard at building bridges to the Conservative Party, the CDU. So far, not successfully. The one splinter group, the Werte Union Values Union, in translation, has now splintered off from the Christian Democrats and is planning to form its own party. But still, I don't think that they have captured the police. Otherwise, the police wouldn't have guarded these demonstrations, including in Eastern Germany. There have been reports this weekend of the hard ride actually coming out in force and trying to intimidate protesters and the police stood firm. So I think the reports of state capture, as it were, in Eastern Germany may be slightly exaggerated.
1: Okay. Turning to the mainstream, I mean, obviously, to some extent, the rise of an extremist party like this is a indictment to the mainstream. And it has got much worse under this government of Chancellor Scholz. And Scholz's own ratings are very low, why are people so dissatisfied with this government? Why has it failed really to establish itself?
2: Well, when the Scholz government took over in 2021, there was a feeling not just among the members of his coalition, the Liberals, the Greens, and his own party, the Social Democrats, but I think in the German public at large, that really important societal, economic, political transformations had been left untackled in the previous 16 years under Merkel. And they were willing to undertake this, which I thought at the time was worthy of applause, despite the fact that these three coalition partners were really quite disparate. So they came with a quite ambitious program, not just for economic and social policy and climate policy, but also for the Europeanization of German policy. What they hadn't reckoned with was any challenges in the domain of security policy, much less an invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And so what I think they were faced with was an enormous reality check in the form not just of the pandemic, but the war and the surge of the hard right. And what we've been seeing in the past two years of this government is a coalition that has had internal pullings out over very different priorities. The liberals want fiscal prudence, the Greens want climate transformation, and the Social Democrats, I think, would really quite like to preserve the status quo in many things. And they, I think, at this point, appear exhausted and depleted. They've made some quite serious mistakes on fundamental projects of their tenure, one being the famous heat pump law that was supposed to help Germans save energy, that was bungled with some help from the AFD who tried to show up the government for its lack of planning. And then finally, in the fall, the budget for this year was upended with a decision of the Constitutional Court which prohibited the government from using emergency funds from the pandemic for some of its current projects. And that, I think, has unnerved a lot of German citizens who are left with a feeling that their government is making some fairly elementary mistakes on some of its most important projects.
1: So, Constanza, you've described the situation in Germany. How much should the rest of Europe be worried about it? Because, obviously, Germany is the most powerful economy in the EU and has traditionally played a leadership role. Is Germany not going to be capable of doing that, given all its internal problems?
2: Look, I do want to warn you against the impression that Germany is somehow collapsing. I don't think that's the case. And again, I think these demonstrations are actually genuinely encouraging sign of a very vital, and if necessary, assertive civil society. I think that's a really great thing. And I could think of a couple other countries where I would quite like to see demonstrations like that. I think that this government is having a very hard time, but I don't think it's Anywhere near collapse. In fact, that is quite difficult. Under German constitutional rules, we don't change horses in midstream. That's much easier in other countries. So I think they're going to struggle on. I also think that while it helps to have German leadership in Europe, there are other countries in Europe whose role is also important. France, Poland. And even though it's no longer in the European Union, the UK is playing a very important role In European security policy. So I tend to think that we're all going to muddle through. I do think that all of us, and not just the Germans, but certainly people here in America, but also elsewhere in Europe, perhaps also in Great Britain, if you don't mind my saying so, have been consumers of prosperity, stability, and security, and sort of quite unquestioningly handed off the business of politics to our representatives. And I think we're now living in a time when it's become very clear that we can no longer just be consumers; that we also have a role and, dare I say, responsibility as citizens to preserve representative democracy. And I think that's a good thing.
1: That was Constanza Stelzenmüller of the Brookings Institution. Ending this edition of the Rachman Review, and that's it for this week. Please join me again next week for another edition of the Rachman Review.